0: What we have done now over the last two years, we have a launched a program called Zebra, where we are developing, designing, producing blades, which are fully recycled at the end of their life. It's not on paper. Actually, we have produced blades like this. They are, as we speak, under this full validation because we want to make sure that, yes, we have changed the recipe of the blades.
1: Good day, everyone. And welcome to Cutting Carbon. I'm your host, Jeff Goldmere, and I'm joined by my co-host, Brian Gutnick. Brian, good day.
2: Jeff, good day. Looking forward to continuing the conversation.
1: Yep. And our conversation this season is really all about wind and the businesses in GE Vernova that'll support our mission around decarbonization using wind. Today, I'm really excited that our guest is Olivier Fontan, who is the CEO of GE LM Wind or Vernova LM Wind. Olivier, welcome to Cutting Carbon.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So Olivier, I want to start with a question that confuses me. We'll start with LM Wind. What does the LM stand for?
0: Well, maybe a little bit of history here. So LM is a company who was created more than 80 years ago in Denmark. And actually LM means something. Uh, A little bit of history here. When the company started operation uh, more than eight years ago, the first thing they were doing was furniture, wooden furniture. And it was studying a, in a small city, almost a village, call called a small city in Denmark, called uh, Lunderskopf. So if you take the L of the city and the uh, M, in Danish, furniture you say mobile fabric. So it's LM. So actually LM means, in English, if you want, furniture from Lunderskov. So they start uh, 80 years ago.
1: Well, that's great. That's very helpful. So let's talk about what LM Win does. And Specifically, let's talk about the wind turbine blades. Obviously, these are not simple structures, and there's a lot that goes on into building the design and the manufacturing of these. And clearly, these are complex systems. Maybe can you tell us a little bit about the challenges and what LM Wind brings to this industry?
0: I mean, I was telling you that uh, the company was created 80 years ago, but actually it started to make blades... uh only, I would say, in the bracket in 1978. So it's still a long, way, long time ago, but 1978. And a little bit of data as well that would explain that thing we know a bit about blades. So far, we have produced close to 280,000 blades, which is helping a lot in the energy transition. So back to your question. Yeah, blade is not really an easy part. Maybe just to give two words about what it is, a blade. I mean, a blade is a big piece of composite, as you may know. It's made of fiberglass, resin, a little bit of a core called PET, and recently we put carbon into it. Back to your question about what are the challenges to produce the blades. Actually, the challenges or the fun starts at the early, early stage on our first conversation with the customer, at the conceptual design. So when we start to share with engineering team customer, what do they want to do? How the blades will fit into the ecosystem of the machine? Think about the blades as part of the ecosystem of the machine. You know, you start to discuss about what the turbine size will be, how much output, you start to think about the size of the blade, the weight, so you really have a, a combination of things. You don't design a blade in isolation. It's really a, a full ecosystem working with, with the customer and the engineering team. So that's where it starts. So making sure that the blades fit into this ecosystem answer the customer requirement. Then, of course, when you've done this, you start to make drawings and so on. And then there is a day that you have to start to produce the blade, okay? Today, it's still a very manual processes Employ a lot of people. What you do, you lay up glass, you put some resin and so on. But, you know, the complexity is, you have to make sure that you eat quality every time, the repeatability of a manual process. You have to make sure that there's a couple of things under control. The weight of the blade is very important. The balance of the blade is very important. You can imagine when they spin on the rotor, they have to be very well balanced. Of course, the quality is right. it sounds easy when you say it, but we have to eat 24-7. Again, I repeat, we have produced thousand and thousand and thousands of blades. We do 24-7 in 40 locations around the world. So the repeatability makes sure you eat quality. And then when you produce the blades, it's not finished. You have to transport the blades to a wind farm, which is typically could be next door. But no, it's not always the okay, case. So it's a long journey. You have to make sure that you look at this with a customer. And then at the end, you have to put the blade on the wind turbine and spin. And it's supposed to spin for more than 20 years. And then during these 20 years, there's a lot of things happening. Rain, birds, and so on and so on. So a lot of things.
1: I'm curious, if we think about the life cycle for the development of a new blade. You've talked about it starts with understanding the customer needs, the ecosystem, how it fits into the overall wind turbines. From kind of that first concept to first prototype,
0: what's that cycle take? I would say could vary a bit, but I would say if you want to make a a simple number, you take a year, one year. Okay, one year between the initial discussion to the test blades and the prototype. We may come back to discussion because we have a long cycle of validate the blades. We produce typically a test blade and a prototype set. The prototype set will be on the wind turbine that's going to spin on the prototype machine for the customer, but also from our side, we make another 10 months of validation of the blades. So we're going to bend the blades in extreme static loads, different direction. We are going to also make fatigue tests and the fatigue test is in 10 months, you reproduce 20 years of life of the turbines. So it's millions of cycles because you want to make sure that you validate the design you have done. You've done a lot of computer design as you can imagine. You have a lot of finite elements, pretty advanced by the way, but at the end we still do physical validation. And I saw
1: years ago when we were doing similar type of validation work in Greenville for onshore blades to see these blades where you're intentionally Taking the tip and bending it back and forth and back and forth. To your point, thousands of cycles. To, millions of cycles. Millions of cycles to watch what <laughs> happens awesome. over the life cycle, but doing it in that accelerated fashion, considering the scale of how large these are. Which kind of brings me to the next question as we think about onshore versus offshore blades. Obviously, onshore turbines are smaller than their offshore kind of cousins. So what are the differences from your perspective when we start talking about that design and manufacture between the scale of those two systems?
0: The fundamentals remain the same between onshore and offshore blades. Not a big difference in terms of fundamental design, but then you mentioned the size make a big difference. And the size make a big difference in terms of physical location to produce the blades. Typically, if you think about the longest blades we produce so today 107 meters long, this blade can't be transported on the road. It has to be built on a port. then you ship directly to the wind farm offshore. That's a big difference. Having said that, we start to see also constraints in terms of logistics with onshore blades. This is why we have introduced this two-piece blade, the speed blades, as you know, on the Cypress machine, where we can ship the blades in two parts separately, and there will be assembly at site that help on the logistic constraints. Okay, So we talk about the validation testing, when you have to validate such a big offshore blade, the size of the rig you need, then of course the size of the facility to produce. But there is a lot of identical fundamentals between these uh, these two types of blades. There is one small difference maybe, is um, that the fact that the offshore blades is going to Live uh, its life on a very difficult environment, the sea water, which is uh, difficult. So we have additional protection of the leading edge of the blade to protect further the blade.
2: So, Olivia, I want to build on this. You know, Our listeners help give them a sense of the complexity of these blades. I think some people maybe think about just this fixed stationary blade. It just kind of sits there, catches the wind, and spins. Maybe like a very old wind turbine they may have seen from hundreds of years ago uh, sitting on a farm somewhere. But these are really complex. I mean, I think about the the Haliot-X, for example. A single rotation of the 14-megawatt Haliot-X I understand there's enough power to power a UK household for two days. So the forces on these blades must be massive. Maybe talk a little bit about that.
0: So the complexity of designing and producing a blade is exactly what you describe is you have massive constraints on the blades. But at the same time, you want this blade to be light. Because if they are too heavy, too bulky, they are going to create a lot of constraints to the turbine. So you have to find the right balance between aero efficiency, be able to take all the you mentioned, and think about these things are offshore, they are put on the water where there is a lot of wind, by definition. So they are going through very complex, difficult constraints, and then at the same time, they have to be light, they have to be stiff, but not too stiff, they have to be cost-effective. You have to match all these constraints together, and they have to be, again, on the water for 20 years. So they have to, to go through a lot of constraints. You know, this is where you think about the evolution of this, this industry. I was mentioning that we started to produce blades in LM in 1978. The first blade we were producing was 7 meters long. Today we produce 107 meters long. So it's a very interesting journey in only, call it 40 years. I think, I think what, what evolved a lot in this industry from design point of view is computers as well. We have massive... Uh, power of a finite element now. We can really do a lot of stuff with computers. The evolution and improvement of material we use, today we use more and more carbon into our blades. It brings a lot of light and strength, but it's very expensive. So there is a massive evolution. And again, I repeat, you have to do that 24 seven. So, Olivia, you talked about how the largest
1: blade that Elam is making today is um, about 107 meters long. Can you help folks understand how long 107 meters really is?
0: Yeah, 107 meters. It's pretty long. But to give you a, a kind of idea, you take our blades, and our blade is longer than a football field. So that would not fit into the football field. You can football in US or football outside of US. I mean, the field is more or the same size. I give you an idea. It's bigger than a football field, and this is only one.
1: And that's pretty big. You're listening to Cutting Carbon. If you're interested in learning more about today's topic, please check out our show notes. And if you like what you hear, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's go back to the conversation.
2: So Olivier, sometimes you know, if you're driving down the road and you see these large wind turbines spinning, sometimes it almost looks like they're spinning slowly. It takes a long time for this revolution. But maybe talk for our listeners about the tip speeds that
0: are involved here in some of these. Well, I mean, it's interesting. When you are far, of course, they don't look spinning very, very fast, but they are so long. So if you translate this to the speed of the tip, the tip of the blade at the end of the blade, I mean, these things go very, very fast. It go like uh, the speed of a Formula One. And it's, it's great constraints as well. So yes, it doesn't rotate very, very fast. If you translate to the tip speed, it's massive. And the Formula One uh, move fast, typically.
1: You know, adding to the complexity, and it goes back to something I learned when I was much younger, the rotational speed of the system is constant. The, the rate at which all the blades rotate is the same but as you said the tip speed is very fast because it's got a very long distance but at the root of the blade it's a much slower speed because it's got a lower distance and so you can create differential forces across the blade purely because the root of the blade is going much slower relatively than the tip and so it's not just the environmental forces it's just the rotational speed as it's translated into a linear speed can be different and again you have to account for that in that design of that 100-plus-meter blade. Incredible.
0: Jeffrey, you are, you are spot on. I mean, the complexity, is the constraints across the, all the lengths of the blade is very different, very, very different. It's why we are here, and this is why we know what we do. <laughs>
2: So, Olivier, we heard in our prior episode when we had Vic Abate talking about onshore wind, he stressed the importance of quality, making sure that we not only plant these wind turbines, but that they run over their life. Can you maybe elaborate on some of the things that you're doing with NLM? Maybe it's in the process automation and validation. Just go into a little bit more depth of how you ensure the highest level of quality.
0: If you think about the the way we are trying to improve the qualities, you have to think about a wing-to-wing, let's say, approach. From design to when the blade is spinning. So let's take by segment here. So first of all, the design validation. We have a very intensive testing and validation, physical testing and validation of the blades, where we put the blades on the rig, where we're going to bend the blades, static force. We're going to flap where we put the blades, cycle, millions of cycles. But also we do at subcomponents, we're going to put subcomponents to a wind tunnel to understand the air of the blades. We have, we are going to put subcomponents at rain erosion to understand what's going to happen on the surface of the blades with rain. So a lot of validation, let's say, upfront of the design. This testing of the physical test blades could last for 10 months. So in 10 months, we want to replicate 25 years of the life cycle of the blade. So that would be the first part. Then there's a second part which is important is making sure that we eat quality right on every blade we produce. So there is a lot of activity to make sure that we have a, a strong quality control in our factory. And going through a couple of important things. First of all, is process capability. So make sure that we have repetitive process. That's number one. Number two, I I mentioned to you that today our way of processing the blaze is still very labor intense. So there's a lot of ongoing activity already done to, to make more automation. Because I think it could be more repeatable and so on. So we have already ongoing activity on automation. But I think it's not over. After the blades have been produced, we have to transport and install these blades on the wind farm. And as you know very well, the blades are becoming bigger and bigger, longer and longer. We install blades in more and more remote locations, so we have to make sure that the way we transport the blades doesn't create quality issue as well, which is very important. And then the last one is, it's not over, is when you install the blades. You still have to guarantee that you don't create defects. When you think about the... Quality so critical. You are right, Brian. But you have to think about the win-to-win approach. It's not only one part of the process. It's everything.
2: Fascinating. Thank you, Olivia. So, Olivia, I want to touch on a point that you mentioned. You know, you've manufactured over 280,000 blades. You mentioned somewhere in there that the, the blade designed for like a 20-year life. That means that some of these blades are going to reach or have reached end of life. Can you maybe talk about some of the exciting things LM Wind is doing on that regard?
0: I mean, clearly, what is the important thing we are doing now is to make sure that in uh, 20 years from now, we could do something with this blade, i.e. we can recycle the blades. What we have done now over the last two years, we have a launch, a program called Zebra, where we are developing, designing, producing blades, which are fully recycled at the end of their life. It's not on paper. Actually, we have produced blades like this. They are, as we speak, under this full validation because we want to make sure that, yes, we have changed the recipe of the blades, especially some of the chemicals inside the blades that we're using, the material we are using. But we want to make sure that the performance, the characteristics of the blades remain the same. So far, we still have to finish some of the tests, but very promising. We think that the blades will perform, will deliver exactly as the other ones. That means that uh, with these blades, when they reach the end of their life, they can be recycled, which is important because it's part of the sustainability journey we are in.
1: And so, Livy, when you talk about then recycling, is the concept that when these new blades reach the end of life, you can take them, basically recycle the material and take that material and then use it for the next generation of wind blades? What's the anticipated use of that material?
0: I mean, a part of it could be reused to, for the blades, but a part would be used for something else. There would be another life in another industry. There will not be trash. There will not be landfill. They will be reused as composite material, they will ask me only to be a very transparent. Only a small part will be reused on the blades, but there will be another life. Uh, they will do something. Else. They will bring other value for the product. There is maybe one more thing to add on this sustainability journey, which is important. So here we talk a lot about the downstream efforts. So at the end of the life of the turbine, what you do with the blades, which is super important, by the way, because you can imagine that it's a very important question for our customer, but also. We have launched a year ago another effort, which is what do we do upstream? And what we have decided is to, by 2030, eliminate all the waste we are producing on the in our processes. So trying to do both, try to reduce as many as possible rheumatoid waste in our processes, so this is really upstream. And then when you produce the blades downstream, 20 years from now, being capable to recycle the blades on another product. So it's really making sure that we don't do only something which is good for the future, but also we do something now.
1: And that clearly Olivier means not just with General Electric, that means working with your suppliers and their processes that feed into the different components, the different chemicals and elements that make the blades.
0: That's exactly this. Eliminate the waste from a supplier base until our own processes together. All this, uh, this step in the supply chain. It's a very good point. A lot of things has to do in close collaboration with our supplier. The shape of the material we use, the type of material we use. I mean, a lot of efforts, for example, in fiberglass, making sure that we have a net shape uh, to the blade. So a lot of ongoing co-development with our supplier base.
1: Excellent. Well, that's wonderful news to hear.
0: And be honest, it makes a lot of economical sense. On top of being very important, uh, it make, because the less waste you generate, I mean, it's, uh, it's waste is uh, not really good for cost. So it's uh, it's helping also... On the economic front, we do it for two good
1: reasons. Olivia, we've had some great conversations this season, both with Vic Abate and with Jan Kirskard from both the onshore and offshore business, and they've told us about how excited they are about the future of wind in general. But obviously, LM Wind is a key aspect, not just for G, but for the industry. What are you excited about as we think about the future of wind and the future that LM Wind will play in this industry?
0: Well, I mean, I would start with. What I'm personally excited to be, if you don't mind to answer this, but I mean, first of all, to have the privilege to be an active part of this decarbonization of the world. I mean, uh, I was mentioning the number of beds we have produced over the years, the one we produce today, all these beds are creating a massive impact to reduce the carbon and the emissions. I mean, this is a feel of pride personally, but also it's taking our 10,000 plus employees in the name and say, guys, we are doing... Important thing for the business, but even as important for the planet. That's number one. And then after, if you look at more business-wise, I mean, there is clearly a lot of growth coming. So, you know, when you are running a business like LM Wind Power, I mean, when you see that there is growth opportunity, it's already a good, uh, good sign. But, but for me, I see the growth not only in terms of quantity. You could look at the growth as a quantity of blades we will produce in the future and so on. But I think it's just only one element. I think I see also very exciting about the second element, which as we produce more and more wind turbines, we put more and more wind turbines to the grid, we have to make sure we continue to enhance reliability and quality of what we produce. I think there will be a growth in terms of quality, but I see a very important growth or improvement in terms of quality. This is becoming mainstream. We are going to put so many... Gigawatt of wind energy into the ground, there has to be reliable. So we are part of this journey as well. And the third point where I'm thinking, the third angle of what growth where I'm excited about is, I know that the blades we're going to produce in the future are going to be better in terms of performance. They are going to perform better than what they perform today. I mean, in terms of weight, in terms of cost. I mentioned reliability. I mean, making sure that the tip speed we mentioned going at super fast. What do we do about it to last longer and so on? So the growth of numbers is exciting, but I think it comes as the same excitement or also part of important things about quality, reliability and performance. I think this has to be seen as a triangle of, of things, if it makes sense.
1: Well, absolutely. And again, I think Brian and I, as part of this journey, share your passion around the importance of decarbonization, not just for our industry, but for society as a whole. So Olivier, wonderful. You know, I learned a lot during this conversation. I'm so glad you're able to join us today.
0: Thank you very much. I hope uh, that was uh, interesting for you guys and for everybody who's listening. Thanks a lot.
1: Indeed. Olivier, again, for Brian, myself and the whole team, thank you to all of our listeners out there. If you've got any questions for our, our guests, please drop us a line at cutting.carbon@ge.com. at ge.com. Thank you for listening. This is Cutting Carbon.